This morning's scripture will be Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. You may be seated. How many of you have memorized Psalm 23 at some point in your life? How many of you could say Psalm 23 with your eyes closed, both hands behind your back? <laughs> it's a great psalm. It's a great, great psalm. And uh, we're going to, uh, uh, typically a, a psalm like this, uh, we're going to spend a couple of weeks in it. We're not going to do that. We're going to cover this psalm in one message this morning. And uh, before we do that, I'm going to ask you to, uh, to pray and we're going to ask God to, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear in order for, for this psalm that in, in a lot of ways has be, I don't want to say it's cliched, but it's at least dog-eared in our Bibles, that it speak to us again because I think it's one of the most important pieces of Scripture in the entire Bible. Let's, let's bow our heads, join our hearts, and ask God to do that very thing. <clears throat> Father, when we think uh, about how you communicate to us your love and your presence and your will and your intent for our lives, we are grateful and we are ashamed. We are grateful for things like your hesed, your love and your mercy and your goodness but at the same time your patience and and your long suffering and we recognize father that uh, that we are sheep in at so many levels and we pray father to 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 grow in our trust in all things that you are not only our shepherd, but you are our good shepherd, and not only our good shepherd, but our only shepherd in all that we do. And so as we come to this scripture today, Father, we pray that it, that it not be too familiar to us, <clears throat> that we are not moved again. By, by the greatness of its message. And so we pray in the name of Jesus that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear in such a way, Father, that we find ourselves longing to be sheep in your flock. Thank you, Father, for these words of David. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We've been saying this summer, when it comes to the Psalms, that the Psalms are with us for a very special reason. Like all of Scripture, there's a reason that we have it. Psalms in particular, if we want to understand the nature of God, the nature of life, and the nature of our faith, we read the Psalms. And that is no more true than it is this morning when we, we look at the nature of God as it is revealed to us in Psalm 23. Now, last week we looked at Psalm 15 and how the great desire of David's heart, the desire above all desires, the king of desires in David's heart was to dwell in the presence of God. Psalm 15 verse 1, Who, Lord, may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? Psalm 23 continues that trajectory of thought. The psalm ends with the presence of God and dwelling in it a reality. And David says in the very last, verse 6, the very last verse of Psalm 23, he says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The, the psalm continues to develop our minds as to what it means to live in the presence of God. And there's a little bit of irony here in this because most of the time when we think about Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm, we think of funerals. And we think of, of grief and we think of comfort. And we think of gravesites and we think of memorial services. And Psalm 23 is that very thing. It is a comfort to us. Because the idea, the very idea of living in the presence of God forever is an incredibly deep and profound goal for every human being. But what's ironic about it is that the psalm is about life, not death. It's about life. It's a psalm of comfort that teaches us what life is like when we hand our life over to the care of a great shepherd. Now, one of the reasons that this psalm stands out, a lot of times that people look at the literature of it, and Psalm 23 is a great piece of literature. There are all of these dominant images and help it to stand out. These dominant images and verbs and subjects, they, they all help us to remember the flow in, the, in the, uh, the direction of the psalm. Think about God, for instance. God in this psalm is a providing shepherd. He's a protecting shepherd. He is the preparer of a great feast and the anointer of heads. And he is also the head of a household. David, who wrote the psalm, is looking at God. But he's also looking at himself. And in this psalm, David is a sheep and a sheep in danger. He is a guest of honor. And he's a member of a household. And there are all of these actions that take place in the psalm. There's leading. And there's protecting. And there's celebrating. And there's chasing. The Hebrew word radaf is pursuing and chasing. And there's also all of these dominant scenery images. There are pastures, and there are valleys, and there's a banquet, and there's home. And in this psalm, there are four declarations of what it means for a human being when he has decided that he is going to live in the care of God, that he is going to live in the care of another. And those four declarations are, I shall not want, I shall not fear, I shall overcome, and I shall live. The psalm begins in the first two verses with these famous words. The Lord, Yahweh, is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or he restores my soul. Literally, he brings life back to me. He brings breath back to me. That first declaration of David in this psalm is, I shall not want because God satisfies me. When we think about some of the psalms that we've looked at this summer, they have taught us thus far, like Psalm 1, that the possibility of a blessed life and a happy life, that that's possible for human beings. We think of Psalm 15 that teaches us that there is a life that is unshakable, that is offered out to human beings who have faith in God. Psalm 23 teaches that a life in the care of God leads to contentment. But here's the big question. What does it mean to be content in God? What does it mean, biblically speaking, to be content? Paul makes this grand statement over in the New Testament. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance, which means that circumstances are not a part of that equation. The Bible never defines contentment as the denial of disappointment in life, as if some kind of disappointment or some kind of setback was a weakness, and you've got to deny that. Or the Bible never defines contentment as feeling good about everything in life. I mean, I'm really going through a rough patch right now. I, you know, I don't have any money. You know, the, the, the kids are a wreck. The, the house is falling around behind me. But guess what? I'm content. The Bible never teaches that that is what it means to be content. And the Bible never teaches settling for things in life that are less than they ought to be. The Bible does not teach that. The Bible teaches contentment as sheep who are able to lay down. Because all of their needs have been satisfied. The funny thing about sheep is that they will not lie down if they are agitated. And there are all kinds of things that agitate sheep and cause them not to lie down, to not be content, for them to be agitated and anxious. One of those is fear. The fear that at any moment they may have to run for their lives because sheep do not know how to stand their ground. And for sheep to do so in some circumstances is, is literally their death. There's a movie that came out um, a year or so ago called Wind River. The opening scene is um, a, a, a flock of sheep that are looking at each other and looking around. And you can tell they're agitated and they're kind of bumping into each other, but they don't know where to go. And the reason they're agitated is they're surrounded by coyotes. They're surrounded by predators. And the sheep finally begin to calm and relax as those predators are driven off. Another thing that, that keeps sheep from laying down are irritating flies and insects and all kinds of pests that, that get in under the fur, that get in under the wool, that get in the, their ears, that get in around them and agitate them, and they don't know what to do, and so they just run and run and run and run, run, run around. Another reason is hunger and thirst. Something on the inside is not right. Contentment, biblically speaking, is the sense of well-being we have in the care of a good shepherd who provides what we need in order to lie down. That's the scene of contentment. 
And if you want contentment in your life as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, you have to make a decision beginning immediately. Not waiting until tomorrow, not waiting until circumstances begin to change, but you make a decision right now to stop following other shepherds. You stop following other shepherds in order to follow the good shepherd. And that's what it means to say, I shall not want, because God satisfies all the needs that I have. But then there's a second declaration, I will not fear because God is with me. I remember one time when a young boy and my brothers, we were all, you know, first grade, uh, preschool and kind of a toddler, and we were up in Beaver's Bend uh, down in southeast Oklahoma uh, camping with mom and dad. And uh, my dad was a, was a guy that liked to tell stories. He was great at telling stories. And uh, he was telling us that we had to be careful. There weren't, at, at, that, at the park, there weren't a whole lot of lights out on the road. So it's pitch black. And so my dad, thinking that it was funny, started talking to us about bears in that part of the world. They said, you know, the best thing that a bear wants is to eat a little boy. <laughs> and we're going, Dad, come on. And my mom is over there going, JT. Next thing you know, this thing comes loping out of the woods. It was a sheepdog. But you know how much a sheepdog looks like a bear in the dark? <laughs> and my, my brothers and I, we climbed up on top of Dad's head. And my dad started laughing because he realized that it was a dog. But he couldn't help but laugh that, you know, he had set himself up to nearly be mangled to death because of these boys scrambling up, the, up his back and sitting on his head. The funny thing was, the, the one thing that happened when, he, when, when that dog came across that path, and we thought it was a bear for sure, is that we got on dad. We were not going to fear because we were with Dad. David says, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Now what God is doing with you on that path is to bring glory to him. Which doesn't mean that it's always an easy path. And David continues, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, say it with me, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The question we have to ask ourselves from time to time, folks, as disciples of Jesus, do we really trust the path that God has put us on? Do, or do we feel, do we trust do we think that we are on the right trajectory of life because we're following God? Sometimes we question that, and that questioning leads us jumping off of that path from time to time. Part of that is because we all suffer from worst-case scenario thinking. One worst-case scenario thinking is that whatever that thing is, it will never happen to me. That is so naive. A second worst-case scenario thinking is you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. You're just sort of this pessimist and, and sort of just negative about life. And if there's something bad that's going to happen, if something's going to fall out of the sky, it's going to fall on me. Humans, it, humans are not built for anxiety like sheep. 
In Genesis 2 through 3, or chapters 1 and 2, there's this description of a world that is created without anxiety because everything is perfect. There is no sin, which means that there's no death. And because there's no death, there's none of the, the, the byproducts of death that lead to it, like illnesses and sicknesses and murders and meanness and these kinds of things. And then sin enters into the world, and anxiety was discovered when Adam and Eve looked for contentment in something other than God. And then one day, now in chapter 3 of Genesis, the Lord God is walking in the cool of the morning, he's in the garden, and he calls out to the man, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was, what? Afraid. Because I was naked, so I hid. Sin entered the world into this world that we've been blessed and given. And this separation from God because of sin, the sin of seeking our contentment in things or people or experiences or knowledge or anything other than God creates that fear. And David recognizes the deep, dark, dangerous valley. He's not saying, I just knew I was going to enter into this valley. And he's not saying, you know, I'm never going to enter into the valley. That doesn't happen to guys like me. Midas touch, the golden kid. David doesn't say, I just knew this was going to happen, or I can't believe that this is happening. What David says is, even if it does come, I will fear no evil. Why? Because God is with him. To fear no evil is the product of recognizing we are never alone on the path. If you want to live without fear, you have to expose the false shepherds in your life, whatever they might be. Number three, I shall overcome because God shares the victory. It says in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Although the predominant Im imagery to this point has been of a shepherd and a sheep, this is not an ag lesson. It's a lesson about what it means to live life with God, to live life in the care of the good shepherd or God in particular. It's a psalm about how to live with God. And here David drops the shepherd motif and he picks up God as a warrior or a protector or the one who, who keeps the, David safe. And so you have a banquet table. And you have anointing with oil. You have an overflowing cup. And all of this is celebratory. It's done in the presence of enemies or an enemy that has been vanquished, that has been defeated. You know, one of the great lessons that comes out of the life of David is that he knew he faced all of his enemies, all of his enemies, in the strength and the presence of God. David always knew that when he faced an enemy like Goliath, that he was facing more than just a man who happened to be a giant of over nine feet in height, who was, who was built like an Abram tank, an armor just like it. When David set out, he knew that he wasn't just facing a big fella, he was facing death itself. That's what Goliath was known for, dealer of death. 
a, a, a champion of victory in which the Philistines had put all of their hope. He was death and he was their champion. Death was the ultimate enemy and David knew that the only way to face it was to face it in the strength of God. And we do the same thing. We may not face anybody that's nine feet tall, but we face some pretty bad economies at times. We face some bad weather. We face relationship issues, career setbacks, tragedies, disappointments, consequences from bad decisions. All of those things are not the ultimate enemy. Over in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah gives his version of Psalm 23. He says, beginning in, in verse 6, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich, a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. What in the world is that? He will swallow up death forever. The shroud, the sheet that covers everything. And the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. Tells you a lot about God. God always has a handkerchief handy. And he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. One of the most poignant scenes in, in all of this psalm is this particular one. That God fights for his people and he gains victory over the enemies, but he shares his victory with us. In the presence of a vanquished enemy, a table is prepared for us. Our head is anointed with oil, cup continually filled. It's through the valley of the shadow of death to a celebratory table of feasting. And what David is saying is we overcome because a victory we could never win is shared with us. It's one of the things that Paul says over in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8. He says, in all of these things, whatever they might be, we are more than what, church? Conquerors. Not because we know how to wield an axe. Not because we know how to, to launch arrows into the air accurately. But we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Which leads us to the very end, the last, the last declaration, which is, I shall live because God pursues me. You know, one of the things that happens in the Old Testament over and over again is a lot of chasing, a lot of pursuing. There's a lot of chasing and, and pursuing and running down in the Old Testament. Enemies chasing enemies, blood avengers chasing murderers, old kings chasing kings to be. That Hebrew word, radaf, means to pursue a lot of times and mostly in, in, in context with hostile intent. But not always. David says, your goodness and your love will not just follow, but 
will pursue me. And not just when I'm doing well, but even on those days when I'm not and there are bad consequences, it's God's love and His mercy and His goodness that is following me all the days of my life, which means that I dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, we often talk about Philippians 2 as a descent, and it is. But, but it's more than that. Jesus just didn't fall out of heaven one day and land on earth. What happened in the incarnation was an intentional pursuit of human beings in love and goodness. It was a pursuit. And the real funny thing about this psalm is that David may not have seen it at the time, but what he's doing is letting us know ahead of time that there is a gospel coming. That there is sheep and a shepherd. That there is a one who provides for the sheep and there is a one who leads the sheep onto the right kinds of paths. And he's got the sheep's best interests at heart. That when they are with that shepherd, they're going to flourish and they're going to thrive. And they're going to be show animals because they're getting everything that they need to be what they need to be. And what they were created to be. But you know what? These sheep are facing an enemy that they can't face alone. I mean, have you ever seen, you know, you go through my neighborhood and you see, you know, a, a dog with teeth and uh, on the sign it says, beware of dog. I've never seen one that says, beware of sheep. When those SWAT teams are going into a building, they're not sending the sheep in first. Sheep are helpless in a lot of ways. And they're in this valley of the shadow of death and there is no way for them to win except a shepherd and the shepherd brings them to the other side of that valley of darkness and a victory over an enemy is shared with those that can never do it on their own and because that victory is shared it means the possibility of dwelling with God forever is what the shepherd wants and offers everyone It's foretelling of the gospel. And one of the ways that we know that this, is, that this is true and that it's what God wills is that here we find a shepherd who became a sheep in order to die for the sheep. And this morning, you know, that's the offer, that's the invitation of God's word to, to everyone and to anyone who would really like to change the trajectory of their life and not to live outside of the presence of God, but to live in the presence of God by accepting what this shepherd offers in terms of, 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 of a, a conquering victory over death. Which means that living in the house of God, dwelling in the house of God of the Lord forever and ever is a possibility, it is a reality but it's only a possibility until, through faith, you appropriate it in what it is that the shepherd has done. And that is to conquer death for you. And to forgive. And to love. And to draw you near 
and to make you a belonger to his eternal family. And we're going to have some shepherds down here at the front that can help you understand how to do that and to do it today if that describes the life that you're wanting to leave for a life that you're wanting to gain. We're going to sing a song right now, and we'd like for you to come down and talk to these shepherds, our spiritual leaders, about how to gain that life in Christ, to gain the life that the good shepherd, God the shepherd, the shepherd father offers to us through Jesus. We want you to come down and talk to them now as we stand and sing praise to God. I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd. Watch ye. 